Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Let's pray together. Lord, what a joy it is for us to find ourselves in your presence. We're here to worship you, um, and we're here to, to hear from you. So speak freshly to us that we may have a greater understanding of who you are and what you desire for us. Lord, give us ears to hear your word today. Amen. If you were to summarize in just a few sentences what you believe to be the purpose of life, what would you say? Ask the general person in the street, what's the purpose of life? And they are liable to say, to be happy. I asked Alexa, who who lives in my Amazon Echo in my kitchen, to state the purpose of life, and she said, a traditional answer is 42. (laughs) Those of you who are familiar with Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy will maybe understand that. (laughs) Ask Siri on your iPhone, what's the purpose of life? And she may say, I don't know, but there's an app for that. We all know the the comic strip Peanuts, right? And its main characters, Lucy and Linus and Schroeder, Charlie Brown. Well, one day, Lucy asked Linus, what's the purpose of life? And Linus is just, he just kind of stands here with his blanket, of course, and doesn't answer. And Lucy, you know, again asks, what's the purpose of life, Linus? And Linus doesn't say, say a word. And again, Lucy asks him, what is the purpose of life? And Linus just kind of holds out his blanket. As if to say the purpose of life is security. Well, Lucy isn't satisfied, so she goes to a second source. She goes to Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, what's the purpose of life? And Charlie Brown immediately goes into, uh, answers this question with all kinds of practical wisdom and advice. You know, be kind, don't smoke, always be prompt, smile a lot, eat sensibly, avoid cavities, avoid too much sun, send overseas packages early, (laughs) love all creatures above and below, ensure all belongings, and try to keep the ball low. (laughs) Lucy, she says, hold still because I'm about to bop you on the nose. Lucy now turns to Schroeder. Schroeder, of course, who is playing his piano, as he always does, right? And so, you know, Lucy says, okay, Schroeder, tell me, what's the purpose of life? And Schroeder immediately throws up his arms and says, Beethoven, Beethoven, that's very clear. Lucy says, good grief. (laughs) And so she finally turns her back on on Schroeder, and and it's nighttime, and she looks up in the sky, and she sees thousands of lights, and she says, what's the purpose of life? And there's silence. Finally, Lucy just says, dumb stars. So, is there no satisfying answer to the question, what is the purpose of life? Well, let's watch one typical ordinary American family struggle with this particular question. 
Why are we born? Why has God put us here? <laughs> Because that's what? If we all go to heaven when we die, then why does God want us here first? Um, why does God want us here? Yeah, why? Yeah, I heard you. I heard you. <laughs> you don't want to talk about sex? Look, it turns out Allie doesn't want to know how we get here. She wants to know why we're here, why God put us on Earth. And she's waiting for Ray to answer her. What's wrong with you? It's simple. Oh, okay, yeah. We're going to learn the meaning of life from a guy who once threw his shoe at a swan. <laughs> That's called protecting your sandwich. <laughs> Listen to me. Here's what life is. You're born, you go to school, you go to work, you die. That's it. That's all. Cannoli Marie. <laughs> Listen, we're not talking about what we do while we're here, Dad. Yeah, yeah, the big question is why we're here in the first place. You know, I've spent many a night lying in bed thinking about this kind of stuff. Life's imponderables. <laughs> Where are we? Where are we in the big scheme of things? I think Allie's too young to be worrying about things like this. No, I'm proud of her. I love it that she's such an independent thinker. If she's so independent, why can't she figure this out herself? Ray, listen, just get up there and tell her that God put us on Earth to help each other. It's simple, it's direct, it's a good way for her to live her life. What are you talking about? That doesn't answer anything. Well, what are you telling me that God said, hmm, Earth, let's see, what should I put there? Hmm. That's your god? Yeah. No way. It's got to be deeper and cool. Hello, I'm God. Keep going, Raymond. I think you're a wonderful god. Thank you. Thank you. So what did God say? Hey, uh, I'm going to put some humans on Earth so they can help each other. Or I could just skip humans altogether and go hit a bucket of balls. <laughs> oh, I know. It's all in the Bible. You ever think about space? <laughs> what is it? Is it really endless? I mean, if you had a spaceship, could you go flying and flying through space forever? Why don't you give it a shot? I'm not kidding around here. I mean, how could space go on forever? And if it doesn't, then what's at the end, huh? Stop it, Robbie. You'll give yourself a tummy ache. <laughs> what about the beginning of time? What was it before that? Before time? Nothing? I mean, what is nothing? How could there be nothing? This doesn't bother anybody else? <laughs> Listen, 
In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Let there be light. It might take me a minute more. A minute more, Marie? Religious scholars spend their entire lives trying to answer this question. You're not just going to flip through the Bible and find the meaning of life. Oh, ye of little faith. That's in here somewhere, too. Uh, there you go. Well, uh, you know, uh, Marie, the older woman in the family, you know, had the right instincts, right? I mean, uh, the question, the purpose of life, she turns to the Bible. She turns to God's Word. Uh, but, you know, naturally enough, she can't find a nice, neat summary. <laughs> right? There's no two-sentence summary of, the, of what the purpose of life is all about. You've got to have to read the whole book, and you have to know the story, and so on. Uh, which is actually one reason why we have in our church... Uh, a book of confessions. I don't know if you've heard that word confessions. We're not, you know, we're confessing bad things here. We're, we're confessing our faith. And our confessions, we have a book of confessions that summarizes in kind of a shorthand way what we believe the Bible teaches to be true, what we are to believe and what we are to do. So our church has a book of confessions. In fact, our new denomination, ECO, the Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians, will be having a national gathering in Houston, of all places, in January, and they, will, they are developing right now their own particular book of confessions. It's a new denomination, but it would include the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene's, Nicene Creed, the universal creeds of the church, and those that are particular to our own Reformed theological Presbyterian tradition. And one of those documents, one of those confessions is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was written in the year 1646 in, in, uh, in England. And uh, in that Westminster Shorter Catechism is the best summary of what the purpose of life is all about. And it's based on Scripture, of course. And it's the question and answer. It's a catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I think we get the glorify part of that statement. According to the dictionary, to glorify is to to cause to be or treat as being more splendid, excellent, etc., than what than would normally be considered. To honor with praise, admiration, or worship, extol. So we are here, we're here on this earth to honor and give glory to God, to acknowledge His supreme worth in our lives as Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. In other words, we're here to offer worship to God to ascribe great worth to God in our words, in our attitudes, and actions. We are to give Him the glory that is due His sacred name. So man's chief end is to glorify God, I mean really to worship God and to honor Him. But the second part of that phrase deserves some attention because this is the, this is the coolest thing. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy 
Him forever. I especially like that word, enjoy. Because the writers of the catechism could have said, man's chief end is to glorify God and obey Him forever, which is probably what you would have expected. But no, the word is enjoy, enjoy. That's a word you often don't think of in relationship to God. It's a word that you wouldn't expect to find in a formal theological document, especially dating from 1646. And so that got me thinking, how many of us really enjoy God? Not just do we believe in God or do we honor God, do we do our duty to God, do we revere God, but do we enjoy God? It's a searching question because I honestly believe that God wants to be enjoyed. He wants for you and for me to come to Him in joy. In the Old Testament, the Psalms are full of the language of joy and delight in describing one's relationship with God, of coming into His presence. And so you have Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It's He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. To come before God is to delight in His presence. And so you have Isaiah who says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. And the psalmist who says, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. In our New Testament reading, uh, Jesus is questioned by some bystanders. This is from Mark, the second chapter. And uh, the bystanders ask, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting Jesus but yours are not. And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? In, in other words, when you are in the presence of Jesus, when you are in the presence of God Himself, the most appropriate response is not one of fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, but feasting. One's relationship with God is above all one of enjoyment. It's rather like being at a wedding feast and entering into the joy of the occasion. It's enough to simply be in God's presence. Isn't this wonderful? What's the dominant picture of the kingdom of God in the New Testament? It's the wedding feast. Joy. It's what life is all about. And finding our ultimate joy in God who gives us all good gifts to enjoy. C.S. Lewis said that joy is the chief business of heaven. It also ought to be the chief business on earth, on earth as in heaven. So God wants us to find joy. And yes, we're to enjoy all God's good gifts, but above all, we are to find our joy in Him. Now, it's one thing, you know, to find joy in and good food, and drink, and getting together, and, and the beauty around us, and, 
and, uh, you know, fresh air to breathe and so on. And we think to give thanks now and then. But how many of us enjoy not just the gifts, but enjoy the giver? I mean, is the one thing we want most is to be in God's presence. I mean, now, now, honestly, how many of us today, upon waking, said, oh, boy, oh, isn't it wonderful? This is Sunday, and I get to go to church, and I get to meet God and to be with all God's people. Isn't this a great day? You could hardly wait to get to church, right? No? <laughs> uh, but see, I fear that many people, for many people, seeking God is more a duty than a delight. In fact, for many, God is more to be avoided than sought. I mean, God's presence can be as welcome as a state trooper when you're going 90 on the interstate, right? Speaking of state troopers, I think of the officer who was in a police helicopter, and he was looking down below, looking for speeders on the, on the, on the freeway. And there was one speeder, and so he, he radioed down to a policeman on the, on the ground. And so the, the policeman pulled the guy off the road, got the speeder, and he was writing a, writing a ticket. And uh, the driver said, well, how did you know? How did you know I was going that fast? The policeman didn't say a word, but he just kind of pointed up. <laughs> and the driver said, oh, no, he's against me too? <laughs> uh, but, you know, a lot of people think of God that way. You know, he's out to get you. Uh, he's kind of like a cosmic policeman who's, you know, snooping around, hoping to get you when you're doing something wrong. Kind of a cosmic snoop. Or, or he's a stern lawgiver and judge who delights in punishing people. That, you know, God is this heavy, you know, who's, who just wants to you know, destroy everybody's fun and enjoyment. Uh, and many people think of the life of faith as, as a burden, burden to be born, or a duty to be exercised, or a dreadful bore to be endured. People think of the Christian life that way. God always seems to be on our back. But who wants to be around that kind of God? I mean, really? Is that your God? Man, you got it all wrong. One reason people don't enjoy God's presence is because of what someone has called oatmeal theology. Oatmeal theology. Well, little Johnny was at the table and he had a bowl of oatmeal there and his mother was trying to get him to eat the oatmeal. And the boy was refusing. Come on, Johnny. Please, this is good for you. Do it for mom. <laughs> Eat your oatmeal. And that kid was stubborn. And, uh, you know, he refused time and time again. And his mother was getting frustrated and said what you should never say as a parent. If you don't eat your oatmeal, God's going to punish you. Well, he still refused. And so, you know, he, he went off to bed and... and, uh, and uh, all of a sudden, then there, you know, that, that day, that night, there was a thunderstorm and there was lightning and, and the, the, the wind came up and, you know, the, the rain splattered along the, along, the, along the windows and mom went up to see if Johnny was okay. Johnny, are you okay? And Johnny, little Johnny says, uh, 
yeah, I'm okay, but that's sure an awful lot of fuss over a little bit of oatmeal. <laughs> We're, we, you know, we all have our oatmeal, <laughs> and we think that God is out to get us, right? That God's going to punish us somehow. God's out to get, get us, even if it takes God a thunderstorm to do it. It seems that God is always shouting, shouting you know, thou shalt not from on high, and His prophets point fingers of condemnation. But if, see, if that's all that God does, and if that's your main conception of God, there is no way on earth that you're going to enjoy God. <laughs> There's just no way. You're going to fear God. So, how can you and I enjoy God? And let me suggest very briefly three things. By gaining a new perspective, by taking a new approach, and by experiencing a new relationship with God. So let me say the first thing. If we're going to enjoy God properly, then we need a new perspective. That is, we need a more correct understanding of who God is. If the only picture of God that we have is that of a stern judge or a cosmic snoop or an apathetic bystander, then something is wrong. We need to see God as God really is. We need to see God as revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. As it says in the Gospel of John, no one has ever seen God, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known. Whoever has seen me, said Jesus, has seen the Father. So do you want to know what God is like? Open the pages of the New Testament and look at Jesus. To see Jesus is to see God. To hear His words are to hear the words of God. To see His deeds is to see the deeds of God. If you want to, to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And you know what? Jesus is actually a pretty attractive fellow. If you read the New Testament, if you study His life, He naturally drew a crowd he was probably the life of the party. I mean, that, that, you know, he certainly was a, a man of, of good humor. He probably smiled. Let go of all, your, all the movies you've seen, the sober, somber Jesus, right? wasn't like that. He naturally drew people to himself. His first miracle was at a wedding, of all things, an occasion of joy, you know, turning water into wine. This guy loved to party. In fact, he was accused by the Pharisees of being a, a glutton and a drunkard. Yeah, Jesus says some hard things, right? But really, if you, if you study His life, you instinctively want to be with Him, and you want to follow Him. You sense His love. You sense His compassion, His forgiveness. You sense His joy, and you want to share it. You can see God in Jesus. If you do so you'll genuinely enjoy Him. So, we need to see God in a new perspective. If we really want to know who God is, we look at Him, Jesus Christ. And second, to enjoy God, we need a new approach. That is, we need to come to God on the basis of grace. Grace. Grace means God loves us always, no matter how far we stray, no matter how deep we fall. Grace means not having to measure up first before God will love us. 
God loves us just as we are. If we could just come to terms with that. When will we realize that we can impress God with our good deeds and with our righteousness? When, we re- when will we realize that salvation is a gift to be, to be received in the empty hands of faith alone? We will never be able to enjoy God so long as we feel we have to earn God's love somehow and that we have to measure up as if we really could. We don't have to work our way to heaven. We are saved by God's amazing grace. God takes the burden of our sin upon Himself. God wants our liberation. God is for us, not against us. And I tell you, when you begin to understand and appreciate the free gift of grace, you will be able to contain your joy. That joy will just bubble up. You You know that you are loved through and through, and you want to share that love with others. So we desperately need, if we're going to enjoy God, we need a new approach to God, a good news New Testament approach. And then finally, to enjoy God, we need a new relationship. The way to get rid of God on our back, that nagging feeling that God is always out to get you, yeah, He's on your back, no, get rid of of that and get God in your heart. There's no joy in the Christian faith when all Christian faith is is just living by a bunch of rules, just obeying commandments, trying to be good. Where's the joy in that? It's not just external rules and ceremonies. The good news of the gospel is that our hearts can be temples of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and this is really the greatest gift that God has to give the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you and me, changing us from the inside out. You see, God is not just out there. God is not just a reality above and around us, but God would be inside of us. We read in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so He will if we invite Him in. We can pray just a simple prayer, Come, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Take the throne of my life. Lord, I give myself to you. Take me. Use me. Fill me with your love. And the Lord will take up residence in us. And he will fill us with joy and delight. Again, it's not just a God out there, but it's God in here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So then, the Christian life does not have to be either boring or burdensome. In fact, with a new perspective and a new approach and a new relationship, it can be the source of deepest joy. Discover God in Jesus Christ. Approach God on the basis of grace and invite Christ into your heart by faith. Then go out and glorify and enjoy God forever. So may it be. 
Amen.